we need to make sure we not only win, but we win by a very large margin. We have the numbers to do it if we register and turn out our people. And that, I, I think, has to be uh, priority number one. Welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to make a difference right now, right from your home. The best antidote to anxiety is action. There are 111, make a wish, days, (laughs) I know what that wish is, (laughs) until the most important election of our lives. With your help, we will win back all the houses. Today, we are honored to be joined by House Intelligence Committee Chair, Impeachment Manager, and everyone's favorite thorn in Trump's side, Mm -hmm. Congressman Adam Schiff. We talk about Trump and Attorney General Barr's assault on our democracy and how you can help protect the integrity of this election. So important. And then we're excited to launch the Ryan Report. Ryan Quinn is Swing Left's political director, and today he's going to tell us about an exciting new state we're adding to our campaign to take back the Senate. You don't want to miss this. Should I give a hint? No spoilers. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How How We We Win. Thank you for writing the theme song for the Ryan Report. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan is gr- Ryan is great and uh, so incredibly smart, and he is our chief analyst at Swing Left that dissects all of the races up and down the ballot and helps yeah. us come up with where volunteers are going to be the most needed, have the biggest impact. So we're excited to welcome him for recurring segments on this show so that our listeners can get a little in-depth on the state of the race. I love it. I love data-driven decision-making. <laughs> really feels like you, you're you not wasting any time or resources. I just go with my gut, but that doesn't always help. <laughs> <laughs> my gut is very large right now and can't be trusted. Oh, it's because you have a baby in there. And food. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. <laughs> so it's been quite the week yet again. What do you want to talk about, Mariah? What should we let people know about that's on your mind? Um, So Roger Stone, convicted felon, not going to spend any time in prison, it looks like, thanks to his good buddy, Donald Trump. You know who else isn't going to spend any time in prison so far is the the people who murdered Breonna Taylor. It's very relevant to me, and it's real frustrating and uh, and people are walking around here with their freedom, even though they've committed horrible crimes. And <sighs> Yes, Trump just today was asked about the death of George Floyd and the death of all of these black men and his response wa- at the hands of police. And his response was, well, white men, too. A lot of white men are dying more so, in fact, which is not true by any stretch. I mean, what can, what can you say and, and what, what do you expect? If ever there was somebody who was like, what about me? It would be Trump. Yes. Who has managed to make every tragedy and 
and difficult thing that our country has had to go through over these last few months about him and how he's being treated. And, and it's why so many people can take comfort. So many people who look like him can take comfort in him because he's always going to look out for the people who look like him for the rest of us. Not so much. Yeah. Well, that's exactly the point that Representative Schiff makes in our interview. And he talks a bit about Roger Stone. And uh, we talk a bunch about Attorney General Bill Barr firing these district attorneys that in in both Washington, D.C. and in New York City that are investigating Trump or Trump's businesses and replacing them with his own cronies. Fortunately, we took back the House, so we have some amazing people who are paying attention, who are um, trying to hold them accountable. It's real tough with a GOP-controlled Senate that is blocking everything, that blocked impeachment. Adam Schiff does a great job of of talking about all of that, and I'm excited for everyone to hear that interview, uh, including you, Mariah. Sadly, you weren't able to join for that interview. I was like in the wrong recording room interviewing myself (laughs) somehow. Um, Well, listen, Adam Schiff is one of the smartest people that you'll ever hear speak and has just so much insight into so much and knows so many secrets, I'm sure. Not that he reveals any during this podcast, or does he? I don't know. I was talking to myself. But <laughs> oh, um, we break news. <laughs> we- but I'll be but I'll be excited to um hear his take on on the many, many, many things that are going on. Yeah. He's great. We all love him. But um before we move on to that, let's talk about the state of our Senate races because uh-huh. We want to give these Democrats we elected, uh, this freshman class and the people like Adam Schiff who have been there for mm-hmm. 10 terms, we want to give them some uh, ability to pass this great legislation. We have a couple of elections going on as we speak right now, um, yeah. Texas and Maine, a couple of super state elections. What's going on with the Senate right now? So Texas is like, it's looking like a really interesting potential swing state right. this year, which is awesome. And the Democrat who wins tonight in Texas is going to be up against Senator John Cornyn. And and in Maine, the Democrat who wins the primary tonight will be going up against Senator Susan Collins. So these are folks who I feel like uh, I feel like Senator Collins is concerned. I feel like she's gonna voice some deep concern. Oh <laughs> But in her opinion, everything's just going to work itself out. <laughs> right. We're going we're gonna to work her out of that seat. That's what's going to work out. So Susan Collins, who makes noises that, that might be interesting and then never backs them up. Um, so uh, our Democrats that went tonight are going to be well positioned with our help to get rid of these folks. Yeah, it's really interesting that you bring up Texas as a possible swing state because Biden has been advertising in Texas, which is ah. uh, amazing and a really bad sign for the Trump campaign that they have to spend resources in what was a reliably mm-hmm. red state for them. But we've seen those demographics changing there. They are getting hit hard by the coronavirus right now, as many other states are, too, and are unhappy with Trump's job that he's doing with the coronavirus. Um, 
Hmm. It's interesting. You know, Beto O'Rourke, of course, had a very strong Senate run uh, mm -hmm. last cycle and didn't quite make it. But we always talk about how important it is every time you have an opportunity to build that scaffolding, to register more, more voters, that you're, you know, you're changing the conversation in those states. And I credit Beto for a lot of where we are right now with Texas as a you know, possible swing state. Yes, he's he's had an unprecedented impact there and the work's been going on there for quite some time. So it'll be exciting if this is the year that Texas kind of at least goes purplish. Texas is a possibility. And I want to tell you guys, but I'm going to save it for the Ryan report. We have a new Senate seat that is being added to our map. Maybe you guys can guess by the time we get to the Ryan report. Okay, so that is um, a reason for hope to look forward to. What other reasons for hope do you have this week, Steve? I'm going to take one from my hometown here. And this I've been waiting for for a long, long time. But as a child growing up in Washington, D.C., I was a lifetime huge super fan of the Washington football team. And I have been disgusted with them over the years for a number of reasons, but mostly because of uh, Dan Schneider's belligerent uh, yeah. support of a offensive nickname for the team. And I actually quit watching football, and in large part because of this, about four or five years ago. I took all of my gear, I had collected a lot of it over the years, signed helmets and all kinds of stuff, and I boxed it all up and put it away. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I couldn't support the team anymore, and I had a tough time supporting the NFL in general, so I just stopped watching football. But now they have announced they are changing their name. They haven't announced what the new name is. I like Washington Warriors. I've always kind of liked that. But that's reason for hope. I mean, change as... Who was it that said change happens slowly and then all at once? Mm, I don't know who said that, but it's a very powerful message. We're seeing a lot of that right now. We're seeing a lot of, of activists who have been working for decades and decades on issues, and we're seeing a lot of it change you know, in the last month or so. So that's, that's my reason for hope for the week. That's a good one. I saw um, the, the Onion tweeted yesterday that um, the Washington Redskins were changing their name to the DC Redskins <laughs> <laughs> and people <laughs> went nuts. <laughs> I really enjoy when people don't see that it's an onion article and like lose their minds. <laughs> <laughs> right. What about you? Uh, my reason for hope is, um, We've been talking about how frustrating it is that all of these amazing campaign volunteers are kind of looking for something to do. And so far, you know, text banking, letter writing, phone banking, postcarding have been great. But a lot of campaigns that I'm seeing and talking to are finding really creative ways to safely engage voters and volunteers. And some of those things are around providing food and supplies and uh, PPE to people in need in their communities. So they are having volunteers drop off food and, and things like that, boxing it up, 
and then donating it to voters in need or constitu- I should say constituents in need. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if there's an opportunity to talk about making sure that people are getting out and voting and making a plan to vote in November, that opportunity is taken. Or if there's an opportunity to hear what people need, particularly for folks running for office who are incumbents and and need to be hearing from the community. This is just such a great way to engage folks. And it's not your typical, hey, are you what like what's your plan to vote in November? Make sure that you vote for me. And I'm loving it because it's helping everybody out um, and at the same time in informing the electorate. Yeah. So if you are interested in volunteering with a, a campaign in your community and they're not doing anything, this might be something that you suggest that that can be safe and socially distanced. Great suggestion. That's a good call to action for people to plug into their local campaigns. Really quick before we start our interview, what are our other calls to action for this week? Subscribe and sign up for this very podcast that you're listening to. That's right. It's our July subscriber push. We need your help to double our subscriber base. And that means double the impact we have on this election by getting more people engaged in volunteering and um, the knowledge they need to be effective when they're volunteering. So please text those links to your friends. Swingleft.org slash podcast. And while I'm talking about links to share, of course, we are still pushing out our Senate fund. I don't know that we're going to stop pushing out that fund till the election, because in my mind, there really is no more important thing to be doing than to be raising money and working for these Senate uh, campaigns. We have to take back the Senate and we have to make it a huge, resounding victory. So swingleft.org slash HWW, like how we win. Swingleft.org slash HWW. That's a link to our Senate fundraising page. And uh, if you're not able to donate right now, just share that link to your friends, create your own fundraiser, and let's help take back the Senate. Let's do it. Okay. And now the moment that everyone has been waiting for, I'm sure. (laughs) You had an awesome interview with Congressman Adam Schiff about all sorts of important and heady things. Let's take a listen. In his 10th term in the House of Representatives, Congressman Schiff currently serves as the chair of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Before heading to Congress, he worked as a federal prosecutor in Los Angeles and a California state senator. He really needs no introduction to our listeners, so let's get right to it. Congressman Schiff, thank you so much for for being here and taking the time to talk to us. Pleasure. Great to be with you. There's a lot going on that we want to ask you about. But before we do, where would we be right now if we hadn't flipped the House in 2018? I shudder to think about that. And I do think about that from time to time. There would be no holding this president to account in any way. Uh, Even with the majority, of course, that's been a full-time occupation but we would have never known how he was trying to essentially sell off the interests of the United States uh, to coerce Ukraine uh, into helping his presidential campaign. Uh, we would have not known about uh, a lot of the Russian interference in our elections and wouldn't be able to protect against their further interference. 
We wouldn't be able to help safeguard the vote in the coming election, uh, you know, in innumerable ways, uh, including uh, probably most significantly, uh, we wouldn't be able to insist on resources going for testing and tracing and treatment, mm-hmm. all the things that are necessary for dealing with this pandemic. Uh, if the Republicans were running everything, since they seem to be running away from trying to help the American people through this. Uh, and of course, Republicans have no willingness, ability, uh, or conscience when it comes to holding the president accountable for any number of abuses of his office. Right. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned a lot of stuff that we have going on right now. I, I remember being on an organizing call for the midterms with you and some other local activists. And I sort yeah. of jokingly said to you that it was going to be a lot more fun having you in charge of the intelligence committee. I, I don't think fun was is really what it's been. It's been uh, uh, amazing to see the work that you've done, but also frustrating to get blocked by the GOP in the Senate and not be able to have some results that we had hoped for when you see such egregious actions by this president and by the GOP. I remember that call very well. And uh, <laughs> all the great work that you and other organizations did to help us flip the the midterms. I remember you, you saying you look forward to calling me chairman. Um, yeah. And uh, when I think back on that now um, and how you helped bring in the most incredible class of new members to the House of Representatives we've ever had. Um, you gave us a check on the executive branch. You um, gave us the ability to shed light on the misconduct, uh, the, the rampant corruption in this administration. Um, and I just shudder to think of what the world would look like uh, if we didn't have at least one of the houses. Uh, it looks bleak enough as it is. But I can't tell you how much I appreciate all the good work that you and so many others did to bring about that beautiful blue wave. Well, thank you very much. And I did want to take this interview to really talk about all the great work that I've been doing. So I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess my my question is, in in the last week, you you talked about a lot of the things that we've seen. uh, Trump uh, commuting Roger Stone's sentence, ignoring intelligence that Russia paid bounties to the Taliban to attack U.S. troops vilifying Dr. Fauci for basically saying coronavirus is bad, and um, not to mention the actions of our Attorney General Bill Barr, who has been firing key district attorneys in New York and in D.C., who have been investigating Trump and his allies. I mean, while Trump's support is getting weaker, as you said, his willingness to lie, cheat, and subvert the rule of law has been getting stronger. What at this point can Congress do about any of this? And second part of the question is, what can activists do to support your efforts? Um, you know, what Congress can do in the near term is we can uh, shed light on what the administration is doing, on the corruption of this administration. We can hold it to account. We can help show the American people what they have in this corrupt and craven president and attorney general. Um, and that's what we've been doing Uh, Because the Republicans in Congress have become little more than a cult of the president's personality, there's not much that we can do in terms of legislating protections at the moment. Uh, You know, I mean, we're in the Twilight Zone world where the Senate Republican chair of the Judiciary Committee encouraged the president to commute or pardon 
someone who lied to Congress. Um, and at that time that Roger Stone lied to our committee, the committee was chaired by a Republican, not that that should matter to the Republican Senate chair, but lied to Congress. And apparently that's perfectly fine, um, according to the Senate Judiciary Chairman, uh, as long as you're lying to protect a Republican president, then you get a jet out, you know, get out of jail card, a free card. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there are limits to what we can do legislatively to hold this president to account. We obviously went to the limit to impeach the president of the United States. Um, and in the first ever in history, got a bipartisan vote to remove him from office, not a sufficient vote, but nonetheless, a striking rebuke of this president's, um, you know, immorality and illegality. Um, but what we what we have to do, I think, is when this chapter is over, pass a whole set of what I've been calling, for lack of a better description, our own post-Watergate reforms mm -hmm. to strengthen the independence of the Justice Department, to prevent the firing of inspector generals, to provide ex expedited process for congressional subpoenas and oversight, to give the ability to enforce the Emoluments Clause. Uh, any number of other reforms that are now necessary, uh, norms that we thought we could rely on that, in fact, we can't rely on, we need to put into law. Uh, we can do all those things when he is out of office, but we can begin by introducing that package now. And that's something I'm uh, working on uh, and have for quite some time. Um, but the, the more important thing, uh, frankly, at the moment is what all of us can do as activists and that is we can register every single eligible voter in this country and we can make sure that we turn them out, whether they vote by absentee or they vote at the polling place. Um, it's within our power to not just defeat Donald Trump, but to um, roundly repudiate him and everything he stands for and to throw out the bums in the Senate and in the House who have been enablers of him. Um, this is really the best protection. The thing that I worry the most about is these efforts at disenfranchising voters and the prospect of foreign nations interfering to amplify the false claims the president is making that you can't count or rely upon the, those votes that are cast by millions of people by absentee ballot. Right. Um, and so we need to make sure we not only win, but we win by a very large margin we have the numbers to do it if we register and turn out our people. Um, and that, I, I think, has to be uh, priority number one. Absolutely. I mean, you uh, totally segued perfect into my next question was how do we protect the integrity of this election? And you also answered it because we just have to have a blowout. And we're seeing a lot of polls right now that are looking, you know, very good and appealing. But um, I just really want everyone to ignore those polls right now because we can't have field margin wins in any of these states. We need it to be undeniable because, as you said, the uh, the foreign interference, the calling the election rigged, asserting the voting by mail is rife with fraud, all, all these lies that this president is willing to do to win re-election, um, it's hard to overcome. You know, it, it's so destructive of our democracy. And, uh, and of course, you would only have a president do this who cares more about himself personally than anything else, and that is Donald Trump to a T. Uh, you know, one of the things that really resonated about the Bolton book, and of course we have uh, very mixed uh, um, views of, of Bolton, who, um, you know, it was disgraceful 
and I'm sorry about the ringing. That's okay. <laughs> I think it's disgraceful that uh, he uh, saved it for a book rather than telling the country what he knew at a time right. that it would make a difference. I'm going to see if I can turn this off. Um, I'm sure it's not important. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, uh, nonetheless uh, very consistent. Uh, what Bold said is very consistent with what we proved at trial. And that is that there was no decision that Donald Trump makes that is based on what's best for the country. It's all about what's best for him. Uh, and we've seen that now to such a deadly degree because he believes it's better for him if we just ignore the pandemic and reopen all of our schools and businesses and hundreds of thousands of people die. Um, you know, as long as Trump believes that's in his reelection interest, he doesn't care. And, and obviously, uh, that's a tragic situation for the country. It didn't have to turn out this way, but it has. And we cannot allow this to go on beyond uh, the November election. So all efforts have to be made to uh, register people and, and turn them out, repudiate Donald Trump and Trumpism. Uh, in Congress, we're going to do everything we can to expose uh, any foreign intervention before, during, or after the election. But uh, really, the best protection is to make sure we have the most full uh, voter participation. Right. In, in terms of Attorney General Barr and his actions in cohort with Trump and what he's done post-impeachment, um, have they been worse or the same? I mean, you were very prophetic in your speech to the Senate about what was going to happen if this man was allowed to stay in office. It, has this kind of fulfilled what you thought or is it in some ways been worse? I have to say it's been far worse than what we anticipated. And we anticipated it could be yeah. very bad. But, you know, his brand of uh, malignant narcissism, um, you know, is responsible now for the deaths of tens of thousands of Americans yeah. uh, that didn't have to die. And so many families that are suffering economically who did not need to suffer this way. Um, you know, I do remember, uh, this is just one very graphic illustration, uh, opposing a hypothetical during the trial what if China were to intervene either overtly or covertly to help the Trump campaign? Would Donald Trump, could we count on him to call them out on it? Or would he give China a better trade deal because of it? Well, we now know that wasn't a hypothetical at all, as it turns out. Um, Donald Trump was begging President Xi to help his reelection and was willing to give him favorable trade terms. Uh, and this is who we're dealing with. Um, but, you know, worst of all, is his handling of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, it just grieves me every day to see this continuing loss of life that just didn't have, have to be this way. The president today, uh, once again, you know, calling on uh, schools and colleges to reopen no, no matter what the health consequences to our kids or our teachers, um, telling uh, states to do an end run around the CDC uh, trying to undermine Dr. Fauci because he's more trusted by the American people, uh, of course, than the president. I mean, it's just uh, so backward and dangerous and destructive. Uh, I think about how the rest of the world views America right now under Donald Trump, and it just it breaks my heart in addition to everything else. Yeah, it's really sad. And, and we're not allowed to travel uh, to other parts of the world. We can't go to Europe. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. There, there's the you know perfect uh, in a microcosm 
a summary of the situation. We Americans can't go to Europe right now because we're doing such a terrible job controlling the pandemic. Uh, China, however, Chinese citizens can go to Europe. Hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, if there was ever an illustration of the utter failure of this, you know, misapt America first agenda of the president, he's put America last. Uh, we are last when it comes to our competent handling of the virus. We're last when it comes to uh, avoidance of, of death as a result of the virus. We're last uh, when it comes to uh, the alienation of our friends and allies. Uh, it's just criminal what he's done to this country. Yes, it is. Quick question. Has, in your mind, Attorney General Barr committed impeachable offenses in his handling of these district attorneys? You know, I think if there was ever an impeachment case that could be made out against an attorney general, uh, Bill Barr would be at the top of the list. Uh, you know, I don't know that in the last few months that we have, um, and while we're gripped with this pandemic, that it makes sense to go down the impeachment road again. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I say that uh, as someone who thinks, um, having spent uh, almost six years myself in the Justice Department, that no one has done greater damage to the department in my lifetime than Bill Barr. But uh, I, I think we need to really um, focus on protecting the independence of the, the, the department, the career people who work under him the best we can, uh, expose his continual uh, and continuous malevolent actions, but uh, not lose sight of the imperative of uh, helping our country through the health and economic challenges right now, uh, and the the ultimate imperative of turning out uh, all of our people to vote, because even if we were to impeach Barr, um, he would undoubtedly be acquitted in the Senate. Right. Uh, and the the ultimate remedy here is going to be to vote all these bums out of office. Bums is a generous term, but I uh, appreciate <laughs> your position in using that descriptor. Well, I, I'm uh, I'm recalling my grandfather um, <laughs> who uh, used that term quite liberally, um, both as to uh, unethical elected officials like the president, but uh, also more than once uh, to refer to uh, the Red Sox that so often broke his heart. <laughs> We always end up asking um, our guests what brings them hope uh, for the future. But I want to preface it by saying uh, the aforementioned Attorney General Barr said in an interview that, quote, history is written by the winners. So what gives you hope that we can write history with the truth? You know, I have a lot of hope about the future, and there are a few things uh, I would point to. I mean, I'm glad you asked this question because it can be such a, a downer of a time that it's good to to remember the positives. In terms of the, the COVID crisis, there's a lot of great work being done on treatments right now and a lot of great work being done on a vaccine. So we've got some brilliant, brilliant people in this country that are working around the clock uh, to help heal the country, literally heal the country. Uh, and we should feel good about those efforts. I, I also think that uh, the American people are coming to a strong conclusion about Donald Trump, that they don't want this anymore for our country, that they're really um, repelled by the ugliness, by the divisiveness, by the, the uh, bitter racism um, that he displays. Uh, they've had enough and they want something better and they want something different. 
Uh, I'm also encouraged by the fact that that class that you and so many others helped sweep into office in the midterms is the best new class of members Congress has ever had. And Mm -hmm. they are future leaders of the country, uh, and that future will be very bright. Um, And finally, whenever I talk to young people, um, they display such a wonderful uh, and healthy impatience um, with uh, all of the destructive uh, actions of this administration, but even beyond this administration, what we're doing to the planet and have been doing the planet for so long, um, I, I have great confidence that they're not going to put up with this. And they are growing and already the most powerful demographic in the country if they use their weight in the elections. And I fully believe that they will. Representative Schiff, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for all that you do for our country. Um, You inspire so many of us and uh, we're grateful uh, to have you serving. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Uh, Right back at you. And um, we're just going to keep at it until uh, we get through uh, both plagues and uh, and we uh, we greet a a much better and uh, more beautiful future for the country. That was an awesome interview, Steve. Well done. So much excitement jam-packed into this pod. We're excited to announce a new segment today on our show, The Ryan Report. Ryan Quinn is Swing Left's political director, and he's going to join us periodically to talk about the state of our races and update you on our strategic priorities. Uh, Steve talked to him about some exciting news regarding our Senate map. Take it away, Ryan and Steve. Ryan, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks so much, Steve. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're excited. And, uh, and I'm excited about this news. Tell us how the map is expanding. Yeah. So, you know, as we've gone through the rest of this cycle, you know, as we've seen, you know, Donald Trump's numbers collapse in certain areas of the country, and as we've seen Joe Biden's numbers improve, what we've also seen is, you know, an expanding Senate map, um, an expanding pathway to the majority. And, and a big part of that is actually uh, big news came in March when Governor Steve Bullock of Montana decided to run right. um, for that Senate seat for, uh, to unseat Senator Steve Daines. And, you know, as we have monitored that race, as we have seen it come into the, the middle of the map as one of those decisive battlegrounds as we move into the later part of the summer and then the fall, we're really excited about supporting Steve Bullock's campaign, about starting to raise funds for, for that race and to, to turn out voters in a race that we believe will be one of the you know, important ones in deciding the majority um, in the, the next U.S. Senate. Um, you know, and just a quick couple of data points around this race. You know, we've seen in public polls that have come out in you know the last couple of weeks. You know, a very competitive race just from the top line numbers. We've seen that race moving in various different electoral handicappers, you know, moving to a toss up in the Cook Political Report as well as a couple of others. And so, you know, it is a, a race that we're really excited about um, getting engaged in and getting involved with, and and seeing as an essential part of our pathway to the majority. Awesome. And Steve Bullock, of course, was a former presidential candidate who really didn't come close to getting the nomination, obviously, but really did a great job of raising his profile. And um, so a lot of people know who he is and are excited to support him. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, 
as we have gone through the pandemic and this public health crisis, we've seen an incredible um, response by uh, Governor Bullock in Montana. If you look at some of the public health measures, the cases per capita, deaths per capita, uh, Montana is one of the states where we've seen some success in social distancing. Um, we've seen some success in maintaining um, you know, those low case numbers. So the story of Montana so far um, you know, has been really a success story, one that has seen approval for Governor Bullock increase, one that has seen his base be activated. But also Montana is a, is a unique state in that it, it splits a lot of tickets historically. And Governor Bullock actually, you know, he won re-election in 2016 by four points at the same time that Donald Trump was able to carry that state by over 20. So, you know, moving into uh, into a cycle like 2020, we see that there is that opportunity for Governor Bullock to, to define um, a separate brand necessarily than um, one stuck in a lens of partisanship. So, you know, we're really excited about the opportunity that we have not only to flip that seat, but also to win uh, in a place where Donald Trump is still likely to carry the state overall. It's crucial that we are supporting candidates in, in every part of this country that are able to, to run these competitive races and ensure that Democratic majority going into the next Senate. That's awesome. And that's refreshing to have a place where the candidate transcends party lines to a certain extent. And he's been doing a great job as governor there and is, is you know pretty popular as governor there, as you said. So I think what you're suggesting is that we should all, especially if you're in a coronavirus hotspot right now, pack up the Winnebago with your family and head out to big sky country to help uh, flip that Senate seat, right? Oh, uh, yeah, we'll definitely be safe. Um, definitely, you know, engage virtually. Um, but yeah, we're really excited about Montana going into this cycle. Nice. Well, thanks so much for that update. I'm excited about Montana. Um, I have some friends who are there and I'm going to reach out to them. I haven't talked to them in, since college, actually. There's some old college friends. So that's the cool thing about relational organizing remotely is it gives you an opportunity to reach out to someone you haven't talked to in a while and say, hey, by the way, there's a lot of important work you could be doing in your home state. So encourage everyone to do that. Ryan, I'm looking forward to having you back again, uh, talking about all of the uh, political imperatives that we are facing and and what people really need to know about uh, like these polls that she, they should all ignore. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, looking forward to it um, and looking forward to you know giving a little bit of insight into some of those numbers uh, in future episodes. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ryan. Thanks again, Steve. Thank you for joining us and for stepping up to take action. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. And we want to hear from you. Tweet to us at BluesBoysSteve and at Mariah underscore Craven or email us at podcast at swingleft.org. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Remember, this is our july subscriber push so share on social media and use the hashtag how we win 2020 check out our page swingleft.org slash podcast and of course sign up to volunteer we really appreciate you being here with us so much so that we're giving you an extra podcast this week that's right on saturday we're dropping the mini pod so make sure that you take a listen and then we'll be back next wednesday with our regular pod see you then see you then